Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Statesman Sports Desk podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Renshaw. I'm here with my co-host, Jason Walker. Jason, uh, how are you doing today, first and foremost? And second of all, how have you been trying to keep up with all the news that's been breaking in the last two to three days? <laughs> uh, I've, I've barely been keeping up. Uh, I've been trying to do a lot of reading lately, just different mm. books. And every time I come over to the computer and I'll check Twitter, and I'll sound like, something's happened, you know, Henry Columbus transfer, Jason Shelley is coming in. I get that in the wrong order, but but just everything that's going on, it, it is hard to keep up because it feels like every time something happens, something else happens. It was like a couple weeks ago with basketball, you know, we did our podcast about all the incoming guards and then like the next day after recording, they brought in another kid. Um, yep. I mean, yesterday I was writing up the thing about Henry Columbia going to Texas Tech and then... You called, and that was right as I found out about Devonta Henry Cole. So I was like, "The crap, guys! Can we spread this yeah. out a little bit here?" Uh, I, I like a, you know, I like the peace and quiet, but then it's just yeah, tonal whiplash from oh, it's completely boring in middle of July to holy crap, they're bringing in everybody. It feels like and losing yeah, people they like too. Yeah, no, that's true. I guess I guess that's an element of it too. But like they really are gaining a lot of players in a, in a short amount of time. And like, I guess we kind of should expect this because like looking back, it was similar last year where they got Caleb Rep in. They got, um, I think I believe they got Nick Henninger in the same week. Like, I guess this is just now the precedent of, you know, with Gary Anderson at the helm, it's just going to be guys transferring in one by one. And like, uh, as we get closer to camp, it's probably just going to be like a whole second team roster full of Utah guys and (laughs) former players of his. (laughs) Yeah, it is is just Utah. Like, basically, he's going over to the, the, you know, the Utah roster and being like, all right, who's not getting playing time? All right, come over here. So this is like like an all you can do buffet. All right, you're running back. Yeah, why not a quarterback? Uh, maybe a wide receiver. I don't know. <laughs> just, just yeah, just everything. get all your players all a cart. <laughs> just, just you know, basically becoming a development uh, team for the University of Utah. Although it's kind of in a we take them and then we make them better than they were going to be in Utah. Yeah, that's true. It's yeah, it's basically the guys like you're saying that haven't had a lot of playing time, and then you know the kind of the diamonds in the rough mentality of like, oh, we see a couple things out of these guys. They need some more playing time. Why don't you yeah. head up to Logan? Because like with any power um, five school, they which is which get... is kind of funny because yeah. we'll get to. No, go ahead, go ahead. Because yeah, like with any power five school, you know, there's a lot of talented guys they're bringing in, usually like a minimum of three stars, and then mm-hmm. if they're not getting time, then they go to a power five school where most of our better recruits are three stars. So basically we're getting our best level recruits, you know, out of transfers. Yeah. Yeah. So very talented players for us. And obviously the other way around for them. Although the thing is three stars can be, you know, the way it is with, you know, G5 programs are built on overachieving three star players. And so that's how they can end up being just as good as a lot of power five teams. You know, it's more based off of development than raw talent. Right. Yeah. It's it's interesting that like I don't know if that's the way that they've chosen to do things or not, but like they've been, you know, constantly pretty low in the rankings for Mountain West and obviously the NCA and just you know high school recruiting. So the supplementing that with guys who are probably you know three four star guys coming out of high school and have a little bit of college experience, like 
seem to be working out pretty well so far. Yeah, it has. And that can be a really good way. It's basically free agency in a certain yeah. sense. Yeah, pretty much. And of course, it's kind of that way for a lot of college football, even for the Power 5 schools, where it's basically a small free agency class of quarterbacks every year now. Um, I've already forgotten what I was going to say. But <laughs> Utah State has <laughs> been able to thrive because you look at the wide receiver position, it's full of transfers. And there's one transfer mm-hmm. this year, uh, Justin, oh, Justin McGriff. McGriff, McGriff yeah. yeah. Um, he's a junior college guy, and he's a guy who's probably going to be one of the more talented-looking outside receivers. Most of the returning production and talent we see is in the slot, so he could figure to be one of the outside receivers, which has kind of been the trend for a lot of the transfers because the OC Mariner, you know, definitely an outside receiver. Uh, Jalen Green, Ron Quavian Tarver for like three years. You know, he was, I think Tarver was a JC guy. Um, then Green was obviously a USC transfer Mariner, you know, from Utah. And so yeah. wide receiver has definitely been a transfer area for Utah State for about five, six years now. They've not been very mm-hmm. good at bringing in, like raising their own wide receiver talent. They've, they've struggled a little bit in that area to develop their own receiving talent. Although I, I will say one of our favorite guys, Devin Tompkins, is yeah. uh, is one of the, one of the few that they've actually been able to bring through and have a little bit of an impact. Yeah, definitely, and, and hopefully he'll have a hopefully he'll have a big impact this this upcoming year. It was surprising because I saw his stats. Like somebody brought up his stats, and I was like, "Really, he did that well? He's like the third leading receiver mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of yards." I think I don't know where he was. Um, for receptions, but it felt like he really struggled in a lot of ways, but made several big plays because he's such an electric receiver. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, let's. Uh, we're getting a little deep in the woods in the wide receiver depth chart right now, so let's yeah. uh, <laughs> switch gears a little bit and talk about what we came here to talk about today. Um, and we have a couple things of note, obviously, with some transfers coming in over the last couple of days, um, but probably the biggest one i would say of note is the departure of one quarterback who was supposed to be kind of the guy this year um all signs kind of pointed toward that um but having the addition of a guy who probably wasn't gonna get much time behind um cameron rising and jake bentley at the university of utah but jason shelley coming in basically taking the spot of henry columbia who exits and goes to texas tech um jason i just want to get your initial thoughts on that kind of what what you thought over the course of those really five days or so where everything really transpired quickly? So I was I was a little surprised because I wasn't expecting Gary Anderson to add another quarterback. Um, some people saying it was, you know, you shouldn't bring another quarterback because we had kind of, you mentioned the guy, Henry Columbi, um, heir apparent in pretty much every way. It was obvious he was going to start. It's obvious that Columbia was going to start, was Jordan Love was going to start, um, last year's at least that's what it felt like um but when you can bring in a talented guy like shelly you bring him in um you know there's maybe rumors that he brought him in to supplant columbia which we may never know that's just kind of a, a speculation it might be a true speculation but it, it stands as just speculation so it's a bit surprising there i still thought henry columbia was probably going to win the starting job that was kind of my initial impression shelly might push him a little bit but and most, this is pretty much, it ends up, functionally end up, ends up being a, a depth uh, addition. 
and then Columbia announcing his transfer, that was that was about ten times the shock of Jason Shelley coming in. Yeah. Just because you know, because of my assumption that Henry Columbia would be pushed by Shelley, but would still start. And it gave off the impression of running away from a competition, although I do not think that's what happened. It felt more like, you know, based off comments from you look at the Twitter feeds of Henry Columbianis and uh, I believe it's his father, Coach Henry Columbia, on Twitter. It felt more like it seemed more like they felt betrayed by Gary Anderson specifically. I mean, I won't go too much into that, but that's just kind of the impression I got. Again, it's more speculation there that they felt betrayed by Gary Anderson that they would bring in a quarterback to push Henry Columbia when you know the he worked for three years and you know he's put in all the work that he should get the starting job. And so that's yeah. that that's the impression that... And you get that from some of the players, too. Jordan Nathan kind of spoke out a little bit um, about that. Yep. A lot of people were saying, you know, in wishing Henry uh, good luck, they're saying, you know, go where you're loved. You know, go, you know, spread your wings. Right. And... Yeah, it's... Uh, go ahead. It, it's been interesting to see over the last couple of days, kind of, like you're saying, a lot of conversation on Twitter from um, people close to both... Uh, Columbia and Shelley and like you're saying some some former teammates some current USU players all kind of speaking their mind on it and I thought it was it was kind of curious to see because I mean really is just a ton of speculation at this point because you had Jason Shelley's mother coming on Twitter um, and saying that they weren't promised anything he came here just to work and try to earn the position which kind of when you look at the comments from Henry Columbia's dad you you know kind of get the impression that maybe not Jason Shelley was promised anything but that you know it really caught them off guard and they thought that Henry Columbia was going to be the guy who was going to you know obviously have to earn his position but be in that you know front runner spot to get the starting job once the season started um so it's it seems like a huge mess and i don't really want to put blame on anyone necessarily but i kind of am curious of like where this all started and who 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 kind of feels the most wronged or aggrieved in this process i guess you know yeah ultimately it comes down to probably just a one of those miscommunication things where somebody feels some way somebody feels another way, and they didn't communicate it effectively. Um, without trying to go too much off track or into rabbit holes and whatnot, um, to me, when it comes to the Columbies, like, I'm not on board with the logic of Henry Columbia being wronged in that you know he worked for three years and that he automatically deserves the, spark, the, the starting job. I'm not going to buy that. That's not how sports works. Uh, right. You, it's a what have you done for me lately? You know, I mean, Jalen Hurts. I mean, what did he do at Alabama? Won a national title and whatnot. And then the moment he wasn't necessarily performing, they put in the next man up who did the job, and so he kept the job. So you don't just because you put in three years of work and doesn't mean you automatically get it doesn't mean that you don't get any competition. doesn't mean that you don't have to continue working for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying Henry Columbia wouldn't have continued to work for it, but again, this is one sp- potential interpretation of you know, Henry Columbia feeling wronged because he put in three years of work and felt like he'd already earned the job. Uh, so in that case, I won't jump into Henry right. Columbia's corner. I will never fault him for transferring for pretty much any reason. 
I'm behind anybody's decision to transfer for pretty much any reason. Um, I, I can't really imagine any that I wouldn't be unless you're getting really specific and weird. Mm-hmm. So I will not fault him for transferring, but depending on situations, I won't necessarily jump into his corner and say, oh, he was wrong, Gary Anderson's dumb, and you know he just bungled the situation. Because, for one, we don't really know how he handled the situation. We can only guess. And he's also doing his job as a head coach. Bring in the best talent, have the best competition, don't leave anything to chance. And I felt like he was trying to do that, and unfortunately he stepped on a bit of a landmine in doing so. Yeah, and that's Gary Anderson's job. He's trying to bring in the best people, and I thought that bringing in Shelly, although it was kind of shocking, was going to be best for the group as a whole because I, I really didn't think that, um, no no slights to Andrew Peasley, but I thought um, that the competition for Columbia's job was a little bit... Um, sparse before Shelly got there. So I was just excited to see the competition, whether it would be Shelly or Columbia that ended up winning the job, because I thought it was going to elevate one of those two guys and probably both of them to do better um, as a whole, you know? So I I was excited about that. And I think, you know, as you say, you can't fault Gary Anderson bringing somebody in, but um, you also can't fault Shelly for wanting to leave and find a better uh, situation. And it seems like, you know, it only took a couple, a matter of days for him to find a situation that seems like it's, you know, if if not staying here, probably the, the second best situation you could have landed in, you know, going with his former offensive coordinator, former head coach at Texas Tech, and also in a spot where it looks like he's probably going to be fighting for a starting position this year if he is um, does end up being eligible this season. Yeah, it does seem to be a question. We, we were looking it up and we found, I think, three different ways that Henry Columbia may or may not be <laughs> eligible this year. So Yeah, not a lot of consistency or certainty at this moment. Yeah, we'll see if he actually ends up being eligible. Um, if so, he, he definitely will fight for the starting job, I think. He may or may not uh, win it. Um, we'll see. But in, in his uh, at the end of his little statement on Twitter, he it felt like another slight towards Gary Anderson where he mentioned specifically going with guys that have believed in him from the very beginning. Um, and I'm curious mm-hmm. to know if maybe this Henry Columbia transferring stems from just over a full course of a season, him and Gary Anderson just not seeing eye to eye. Um, but that's just pure speculation on my part. Um, sure. Well, you know, it also could be the case that um, maybe, you know, he kind of feels like, he's just not getting the best out of his situation where they've already had two offensive coordinators come in since, you know, Matt Wells left a season ago and maybe he just hasn't been able to mesh with either of those guys either. So maybe he's just seeing his opportunity to take a spot where maybe him and Yost or him and Wells meshed a lot better. And so maybe that's just the best position. And it's not necessarily a slight to either of the guys that are currently here. It's just, you know, kind of a chaotic mess and something that you don't really want to be a part of if you have the option to leave. Yeah, because uh, it definitely is a system that he knows. He knows David Yost's system because they, you know, that's where he was. You know, redshirt and freshman season. Um, yeah, that's what they ran. And then sophomore, they were supposedly running the same system, so it's something that he's familiar with. And it was something that people kept bringing up most of the offseason. You know, that Henry Columbia was going to hit the ground running because he knows the system. And I think I addressed this on a podcast or two ago how. Henry Clemmie doesn't know the system here. 
uh, not anymore because they changed the, right. the, uh, the offensive system is going to change, you know, out from underneath it. So going right. to a system and mind you, Utah State system is pretty simplistic. The, the passing concepts they have, there's not too many of them. Like the different route combinations, it's a fairly small playbook, at least if you know, I was watching one breakdown of Jordan Love and the guy mentioned how few plays Utah State ran as far as like unique plays. So having to go from knowing a fairly simple playbook to what may potentially be, I don't know what Bodie Reader's playbook is like, if it's potentially more complicated, then you're going to a much more complicated playbook in a truncated offseason. You know, that's just not the best way to hit the ground running. And, and again, we brought this up previously, how I didn't think, you know, despite the fact that I believe in Columbia's talent, I didn't love his situation. So I was not nearly as high on what Henry Columbia was going to do this season at Utah State as a lot of other people. I felt like yeah, he'll be lucky to have a good season. Um, yeah. Well, and the aspect that we haven't really touched on yet is, you know, the the whole pandemic that's going on right now. And I'm not necessarily sure that they've had a ton of time to actually implement that system that Bodie Reader wants to do. And maybe, you know, just the idea of having to do a new system in a limited amount of time, it was, you know, something that didn't seem like he wanted to kind of go along that path which i mean that's that's not necessarily a slight to him it's a it's a crazy crazy situation to have to be in and if you have you know yost and wells knocking at your door possibly i'm not saying there's any tampering going involved or anything like that but if that's a situation you can kind of just fit right in then uh, yeah it's it's obviously much more favorable yeah so he'll you know obviously we wish him the best obviously wish it would have worked out here um yeah you know, at the very least, have produced a good quarterback competition and make Utah State as good as possible. But again, I, I won't fault anyone for transferring um, if they feel that's the best situation for them. Okay, so Jason Shelley, we haven't touched on him very much throughout this conversation, but um, just kind of a little bit of background. I'm sure most uh, people listening to this are aware of Jason Shelley and kind of what he's um, produced at the University of Utah, but. Um, just a little background here. He played the final six games for Utah in the 2018 season when Tyler Huntley went down with an injury. Played fairly well, but um, nothing necessarily spectacular. Had the two pretty big losses towards the end of the season of that 10-3 championship game against Washington. Um, and then the bowl game lost to Northwestern, which statistically had a fairly good game. But um, Utah ended up losing that game by quite a big margin. Um, what, what have you seen, uh, over Jason Shelley? I know we were talking about this yesterday on the phone of, even though he has, um, more games played than Henry, Henry Columbia, surpri uh, surprisingly, it's kind of tough to find that film on him though. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was able to find, I was able to watch every single Henry Columbia snap of his career. I've been able to find a, like there was a one hour, like, like they, this, of the Northwestern game, this guy took the uh -huh. whole game and put it into one hour, which I'm pretty sure had every play in it. Um, and he just, you know, chopped off a lot of the excess, which is actually really nice. Um, but I'm, I think he might have skipped a few plays, which is really annoying. Um, I ran into a very similar situation when I was trying to get with uh, trying to look at uh, Devontae Henry Cole. Um, but with Northwestern, I was able to watch the um, whole game. He played 
and this is kind of how the whole game went for University of Utah, is he played pretty well in the first half, and then pretty, you know, I don't know, because in the second half there were a lot of turnovers. Um, I think Shelley, he had two interceptions. He also had at least yeah. two fumbles lost, I think. He might have had three. That's the thing. There were a lot of turnovers. So he didn't necessarily play awful in the second half, but there were more turnovers, some of which were his. Um, and not all of them were his fault. One of them was like a blindside sack, and he fumbled it. Um, but his interceptions were really bad. Um yeah. One of them was like the kind of throw that I would make and it would get picked off. <laughs> and, and that's not a very good comparison when I, you can compare to my throwing ability. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, is that I liked his arm. I mean, my initial impression is that he has a pretty good arm. Although my first impression of Henry Columbia was that he had the, an elite arm. And I, I've had to walk back on that after I watched more Henry Columbia film. So hmm. with Shelley, you see he has a good arm. He's also a really great runner. Like I was thinking of Utah State's potential to run more with Henry Columbia because Columbia is a better runner than Jordan Love. Shelley is just in a different class. Um, and it does make sense. I believe he's a dual-threat quarterback coming out of high school. He's also 5'11", so you know, for a guy to be rated three stars when you're 5'11", you kind of have to be a bit of a runner. That also makes yeah. sense because he's a speedy and very shifty runner at that size. So that's one thing to keep in mind. He's a very good runner. Um, and as far as throws, there were some really nice throws. Um, really nice ones that had some nice power to them, a lot of zip, putting it into nice windows. But there were also a lot of just off throws. Because with Henry Columbia, the thing that I saw is that he didn't have a cannon for an arm. But he didn't miss all that much. You know, he didn't just straight up miss players. He had some that were maybe slightly off target. A lot of his off target throws tended to have to deal with his slightly weaker arm. Um, but he was a very accurate quarterback. That's one of the reasons why I would have given him the edge in a quarterback duel between him and Shelley is that Henry Columbia is the more accurate passer, and therefore, you know, I lean more towards accuracy than maybe arm strength or athleticism. Um, so that's Shelley's kind of biggest weakness is that he's a bit erratic. This is a guy who's completed 58% of his passes in his career. That's that's not very good. Henry Columbia was gonna is a guy who can complete in the mid to upper 60s. In completion percentage, I'd consider it a good year for Shelley if he tops 60%. So I don't know. I was a bit erratic myself in my evaluation of Shelley there. Um, <laughs> but generally, the, the long story short is this is a guy who can make pretty much every throw you want. He's not going to be super accurate, but he can definitely pass well as well as you want him to. And, and mind you, it was his freshman season that we're seeing a lot of these erratic throws and, right. and all that kind of stuff. So that we are two years down the road. You look at Jordan Love's freshman year. I think he was sub-60% on his completion percentage his freshman year. So let's not judge too harshly of Jason Shelley and his completion percentage. Um, yeah, so you're, you're getting a guy who can pass about as well as you want and can be a really nice runner um, overall. So that, that's my uh, 
three minute summer summarization i guess <laughs> that's pretty good I, I wasn't timing you but we uh I'll, I'll keep you under the minute um so we mentioned the two poor games that he had against washington and northwestern but we should also mention the game against byu that freshman season as well um led utah on a 35 point comeback in the second half and overall had a pretty decent game 19 of 25 or excuse me 19 of 28 passing 141 yards one touchdown no interceptions also rushed the ball 11 times for 61 yards and another touchdown so that's kind of um you know if you want to watch the the game against washington and northwestern those are kind of some of the lows that he had that season but you can also kind of see some of the ability that he can bring to the table with that byu game as well yeah. Well, I would recommend the Northwestern game, and not because it's the only one I could find, although I think the BYU game, I can really find that as well, like the whole game. Because um, the Northwestern game, you see the good and the bad. You see the four or five-ish turnovers. Again, I can't remember exactly how many. It was way too many. Um, but you see the really good passes. You see the really bad passes. Um, a funny note that I made on Twitter is that when I was watching the game, it felt like every bad pass he had went to Siosi Mariner. The eventual I did see ad. that, yeah. <laughs> and it was just funny because I kept seeing, like, oh, there's a bad pass. Well, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> like, and it, it wasn't like two times. It was like four. So that one tells you how many bad passes Jason Shelley had. It, but, you know. And the thing is, COC Mariners still had yeah. four catches in that game, which I think was like the most he ever had in a single game for uh, Utah. Okay. Um, so... I think let's move on now and talk about the other addition this past week for um, Utah State from kind of Utah, but via BYU for a short yeah. hot minute, I guess. Um, Can we say that he's that played being... for the three major universities? Yeah, he's maybe maybe he'll three. play half the season for Utah State and then, yeah, he's going to finish it out with Weber State and then kind of just do the whole... yeah quadrifecta or whatever you want to call that then go to suu or something Um, yeah (laughs) um as as somebody who came from florida that would seem like a weird path to just try to do all the utah schools (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so Devontae henry cole um he transfers in from byu signed a letter of intent to play there this uh upcoming season and then I guess had a change of heart, decided to um, switch that up and head up to Logan, um, and he'll be suiting up for Utah State this season and um, potentially sharing the backfield with Jalen Warren, who most people are obviously familiar with from last season, Um, but really not much else to go along with that backfield um, currently as it sits on the roster. Uh, the the second leading rusher that was on the team last season, obviously not including Daryl Bright, who has since graduated, but um, Enoch Nawahine, he uh, actually is serving a two-year mission right now, which I just realized doing research for the article I put up yesterday about uh, Henry Cole's transfer. So um, a very barren backfield at the moment, uh, but you add Devonta Henry Cole into that, and uh, somehow it seems a little bit more appealing. Yeah, it- it definitely feels like a stronger running back day. You mentioned the kind of weakness because behind Jalen Warren, mind you, Jalen Warren being a, you know, he struggled with health last season. So, and that's really bad for a running back. You cannot have a partially healthy running back because of the beating that they can take. Now, behind them, they have 
literally nobody who's like had a single Division One carry. Um, have a couple of, of freshmen there, promising freshmen. You know, I, I've heard good things about um, the incoming freshmen. I, I can't remember their names all of a sudden. Um, I was looking up earlier today, and I can't remember yeah. the, the exact names of the two individuals, but they're a couple of three-star, you know, good running backs, um, but true freshmen tend not to succeed, especially at the skill positions at schools like Utah State. Well, for a development school like Utah State, you you can't be relying on true freshmen, um, especially running backs. So having Devontae Henry Cole, who is a good running back, um, gives you another two-headed rushing attack. Utah State's been relying on this two-headed rushing attack now for what will probably be the third year. Uh, with Joe O'Brien, Darwin Thompson, 2018, Joe O'Brien, Jim Warren, kind of until Warren um, had his injury troubles. And then Jalen Warren and Henry Cole here. Um, the running attack has also been bolstered because Jason Shelley. So yeah, you've kind of point. added two running backs in a sense. Because you know, you'll get a lot of schools where their running sorry, their quarterback will be their second um, leading rusher in terms of attempts. Sometimes their actual leading rusher. Um, yeah. in, either, in either attempts or yards. Usually it's yards. Um quarterbacks tend to be able to beat up yards uh, a little easier than running backs to do. So definitely a, a big addition for the run game as a whole um, with obviously Devonta Henry Cole and also Jason Shelley who kind of joins this running back group. So just a quick note on that. Um, I pulled up the two running backs that they're going to be adding this season um, and the most notable of the two being John Gentry, who I actually heard quite a bit about um, around the time that he signed. He's a three-star recruit, um, supposedly supposed to be a pretty talented kid, but at the same time, like you're saying, true freshman probably won't pan out immediately. So um, not necessarily the biggest addition there. Yeah. And this is the guy that two years down the road, maybe he could be a thousand freshman. Yeah, I remember hearing the, the really good things about him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that whole true freshman thing. Maybe he could. Maybe he'll be... Again, they're going to need probably at least three running backs out there. Um, and if Jalen Warren goes down, they're going to have to pull red shirts, and maybe we could see him. Maybe he does break out. But I, would, right. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on him. Not this yeah. year. I won't bet against him for his career, but I would uh, generally be willing to bet against him being a star this year. I think it's probably a wise bet. If we're putting money down on that, I think that's probably <laughs> probably the way you'd want to lane. Um, I don't want to put bets down on my predictions because I was I hit, <laughs> I, I hit home runs and then the most awful foul balls in my predictions last year. I, I know you're not much of a, a baseball watcher, but I'll say your your predictions were somewhat like Adam Dunn's career for the Cincinnati Reds. He hit about uh, 35 to 45 home runs a season and also struck out about 260 times. So you're either, <laughs> either hitting the grand slam or you're yeah you're hitting the dirt. Like I said, I, I hit a couple home runs in those Okay, so um, do we have anything left to touch on the two transfers, or do you want to move on to our next topic? Um, I do want to mention Devontae Henry Cole as far as his ability to run back. Um, Go off. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people, they uh, we, fans tend to overhype people. I feel like they were overhyping Henry Columbia, as I've already mentioned. Um, they might be overhyping uh, Henry Cole. 
I went and watched him, and I tried to find as many clips of his runs as possible. I found like 12, like 12 of his, I don't know, 100 odd career attempts, which is not mm. the kind of sample size I want. Um, <laughs> but again, it's really hard to find actual film of Utah football. So the impression that I got is that, so first off, his speed is something that several people have noted. Um, Phil Steele, it's the one thing that Phil Steele mentioned about Monte Henry Cole, he called it game breaking speed. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd agree that his speed is good. And he was a track runner in high school. He ran a 10.87 100-yard meter dash. I remember that, but I couldn't remember John Gentry's name. Um, <laughs> it's important things in life, Jason. Yeah, <laughs> important things. So, and that, according to the internet, roughly translates to anywhere between like a 4.45 and a 4.6. There's obviously no exact calculation to translate 100, meter, um, 100 meters into a 40-yard dash. Yeah. The one exact calculation to put into a calculator, which again, is not going to be exact, but it gave me 4.53, which coincidentally is Darwin Thompson's scored time from the combine. He mm-hmm. had pretty good speed. Um, the one thing that I am a little concerned about is that it didn't feel like he had a lot of burst. So while you get him up to speed, he's really good. And there's actually one passing player number can watch where he broke out of the backfield in a little simple swing route. It was lightning quick. But when I felt like he was carrying the ball, wasn't hitting you know, the gaps really hard, he'd, he'd get there pretty quick, and if he got him in the space, he could start accelerating. But it feels like he lacks a little bit of burst. Um, so we'll see how good he is. Maybe I'm just not great at evaluating running backs, and maybe just comparing him to Pat 12 athletes. Um, he doesn't look quite as elite. Um, but from what I have of both him and Jalen Warren, I'm probably putting a healthy Jalen Warren ahead of Rodney and Cole at this point. Interesting. Um, well, I mean, that's as much talent as De- uh, Devontae Henry Cole has and uh, the quickness and stuff like that. He probably has uh, a little bit of an edge in that department over Jalen Warren. When healthy, Jalen Warren was a very good running back last season. Yeah, he, he was a really good running back. And, he, and the, the thing that I believe I've mentioned before is that Jalen Warren, it's actually pretty slow when you get in the open field. You watch it, he's not very fast at all. Um, mm-hmm. So he's kind of the opposite of Devontae Henry Cole in a way, where I really like Henry Cole's top-end speed, but a lot of the, you know, I don't feel like he's, you know, a great cutter. Uh, I did see a couple of shifty moves he's able to make some guys miss. He's slightly more powerful, I think, than Jalen Warren. Like, he's kind of the opposite, where Jalen Warren, really good runner, really good shifty, really good balance, and... You know, all that and can be a pretty vertical runner despite being a kind of short guy. Um, but he likes the top end speed and Henry Cole, you know, the exact opposite. So it was it was really weird <laughs> watching those two. I think the exact opposite in terms of their pros and their cons. Well, I mean, you always want to have a balanced backfield. That's always a positive. Um, yeah. And if if the trend is pointing in that direction or is pointing in any direction, it's definitely pointing in the direction of having kind of that one-two punch that you've seen, you know, um, in the NFL for for quite a while. I know you're you're a Patriots fan, and that's something that the Patriots have uh, deployed for quite a few seasons now. Yeah, the the thing I am worried about though is that um, unless one of these true freshmen shows the ability, Utah State will once again not have a power back. But you mentioned balance. That's why I love as far as balance. You have the shifty, speedy guy, or maybe also doubles as kind of your wide receiver. 
But of course, mm-hmm. is the worst goal line back ever. Danny Woodhead is a terrible goal line back. Um, yeah, yeah. But you know, Garrett Blunt was a pretty good goal line back. He had like the 18 rushing <laughs> touchdowns that one year. Yeah. Um, and Darwin Thompson was kind of, despite the fact that Darwin Thompson was only five eight, he ran with power. Um, so he was able to be passable in that power back situation. Gerald Wright was weirdly like five eleven, almost six foot, and I think maybe even heavier than Darwin Thompson. Somehow not a power back really. Yeah. Um, and then Jalen Warren obviously is five eight and like eighty maybe, so not really much going there. And um, Henry Cole, I think he's also five eight ish, five nine maybe. No, actually, I think he's. Yeah. I think he's grown. I think. Coming out of high school, he might have been five eight five nine. I think. Oh, I have to look it up. Either way, it, it doesn't matter his height because he's not a powerful runner. So um, that's the point I'm trying to make: is they're lacking a power back, which isn't a backbreaker for the run. You don't need a power back. You don't need a shifty back. You work with what you got. Um, right. But um, it's kind of personal preference for me. I like to see both. Maybe that's just because I watched the Patriots before they actually <laughs> for um, 20 years. Right. Well, and you mentioned Darwin Thompson kind of filling in as the um, you know de facto power back when he was on the roster. Jalen Warren is technically listed at 5'8", 215. So he, he, he on paper should have the power to be able to work in those goal line situations. And maybe, you know, if he has somebody else in the backfield who can kind of take a little bit of the slack, he'll be able to... Um, show up in those situations a little bit more than we saw last season. Yeah. All right. That's, okay. That's enough on my rants about running backs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as much as we like to get really specialized here on the podcast, let's uh, right. let's switch Deep to something a little bit more. Intricacies of inside zone. <laughs> well, what you don't know is that I have on the on the docket here for the next podcast. Like I'm going to do a 15 minute segment on long snappers, so you better be prepared. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Oh my god! Uh. <laughs> really test your knowledge as an insider. Um, okay, so moving on though. So the next topic that we've had here over the last couple of days um, is the Mountain West. Well, I do want to touch on something slightly um, before we get to the Mountain West releasing their preseason polls. Is uh, the fact that the media days were pushed back a little bit? Not uh, a a huge. Um, you know, a huge deal in in and of itself, but I did think it was kind of interesting that I also saw the Pac-12 and a couple of other conferences doing that as well. I don't know if that's any indication on, you know, other postponements to come, but I did think it was a little bit curious. Um, But uh, that being said, uh, the Mountain West media polls did come out today and they have Utah State in, do you want to tell the people, Jason? Fourth in the Mountain West yeah, I was at work today when I saw the tweet just pop up on my phone and I saw fourth and I took about 15 seconds to think of, did they put them fourth in the Mountain West, which I thought would be a complete, a little bit of a reach or fourth in the Mountain Division? And yeah, fourth in the Mountain Division, probably a little bit more fitting. And I don't know because they have the point or vote total or whatever that number is. I don't know what it's really supposed to be because you get like five points for, for 12 points for first place or something like that. Right. I don't know exactly if they're called votes or points at this point. Um, but I don't know if those point values they had are for 1 through 12, right? 12 I would believe right? so, yeah. Because you have uh, they, San Diego they, and Nevada, Boise State and Wyoming all receiving first place votes. Yeah, I'm saying like the, the 12 teams because they had in Hawaii. 
And basketball is like only the right music like that. Correct, yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure if those point values are for a 1 through 12 or if they're for the 1 through 6 of each division. If it is 1 through 12, then I think Utah State's like, what, ninth, 10th or something like that? Yeah, if we're going off of total points accrued, we have only San Jose State, UNLV, and New Mexico, uh, and Colorado State with less points. Yeah, so Colorado State, and that's the thing, because Utah State has 60 points, Colorado State has 69, or 59, sorry. <laughs> 59, you're getting a little ahead of yourself there, Jason. <laughs> not nice. No, not nice. Um, so, so Utah State barely has Colorado State beat now. And funny thing is, actually, when I went and looked at, uh, when I first looked at the Phil Steele magazine, his standings had Utah State in fifth. He had Colorado State ahead of Utah State, which seems fitting because apparently they seem really close as far as um, people's opinion of where they're going to finish. Yeah. Um, and although, of course, the gap between Utah State and third place Air Force is you know, 86 to 60, so, you know, 26 points. Right. Um, so, and that's, that's pretty much about where I'd put them. Um, Air Force, we'll see how well they do. Their quarterback is in uh, he's in a sticky situation at Air Force. Um, no longer in good standing is about the only thing I've seen. Um, so we'll see if Air Force drops a little bit. But overall, I'd put Utah State probably just in the bottom half of the Mountain West. You know, maybe one or two spots in. Definitely not one of the top teams, just because... Um, I don't see their path to being good. That's not to say that there isn't a path to being good. I just don't see it. With new offensive system, now a new quarterback, um, I'm not certain about the offensive line. I'm not certain about the wide receivers. I'm really uncertain about the defense. There's a lot of assumptions you have to make about how Utah State's going to be good. You know, for them to actually be good, you have to assume. There's some people that are assuming the defense would be better purely based off the fact that they switched up the defensive staff, which I don't know how much I buy into that. I can believe the defense would be better, but not a ton, not without significant development from some guys. And, you know, some people just overachieving that we can't see right now. Right. The ways that Utah State will be good are ways that are just unpredictable in the offseason. You know, unknown guys becoming stars and things like that. So this is pretty much exactly where I put them. They don't have a ton of returning impact players, so there's just too many assumptions to say that Utah State is going to be better than Air Force, better than Wyoming, or Boise State, or Fresno State, or Hawaii, or Nevada, and all that. So I think this okay, is pretty much so my Let me ask you this. We knew Utah State wasn't going to be um in that top three or four teams coming into the season we, we we knew if you know they got somewhere around 500 slightly above 500 that's probably about what most people expect um but i will ask you do you think that they are better than some of those teams that are surrounding them like you see hawaii at 74 points fresno state at 73 points air force obviously a little bit more ahead at 86 and then Colorado State just below at 59. But do you think they're living in somewhere near the top of those four or five teams, or do you think they're closer to the bottom? I'd say close to the top because I can see them beating Hawaii or Fresno State or Colorado State. Um, so maybe they could be kind of the best of that bunch. 
Because um, I don't think Utah State's going to be a bad team. I'd be surprised if they were just bad. It's the fact that I don't think they're going to be really good. Um, they might not be as good as last year's team. So, you know, last year's team beat each of those squads. Right. So, yeah, I think it's still possible for Utah State to be kind of in that, you know, middling but kind of upper middling, kind of like they were last year, where they're comfortably out of the running for the division and conference titles, but they're not living in the cellar. So, so currently, as the schedule stands, um, they're going to have a pretty rough go of things at the start of the season with their first uh, four out of their first five games being against San Diego State, Boise State, uh, a little bit of a reprieve against New Mexico at home, uh, but then you're on the road for both Nevada and Wyoming. Um, so I think if you're talking about those teams around them, that'll obviously be the time that they'll either, you know, kind of show what they're made of or kind of, um, fall the wayside a little bit. But, um, I, I think that just based off of what we've seen, um, so far this season, which I mean, honestly, hasn't been that much. <laughs> we haven't really gotten into the full swing of, you know, summer fall camp yet, but um, just based on some of the additions that they made and some of the teams around them, I don't think it'd be crazy to, to say that they're probably near the top of that group as well. I think I'd probably agree with you there. Um, I haven't done all my digging yet as to the rest of the season or the rest of the teams in that conference for this season. So I can't say with full certainty that um, I know they're better than teams like Fresno State and I know they're better than, you know, teams like Nevada who actually got quite a few votes um, and one of the only teams with how many first place votes they end up with? Oh, only two, but still the only one of three teams with over 100 points total. Um, so all this being said, um, I, I think I would agree with you. They're not going to be a bad team this season. That would surprise me. Um, but if they can make it out of those first two or three games, then I think they'll probably be on the track for probably closer to eight wins where looking at it right now, I wouldn't be surprised to see a seven and five, six and six season. Unfortunately, they're not going to be playing enough games. Win eight, but... Right. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So, so yeah, whatever the equivalent of that would be. Whatever the being, whatever the equivalent of a of like a seven and five season or a eight and four season. Because the thing is, just looking right. at their, you mentioned how difficult the first half of the schedule will be. You know, BYU, San Diego State, Boise State, kind of like all in a row. Um, it could end up being, you know, you know, they uh, have you know Wyoming a couple of weeks later. It could end up being a situation where Utah State really struggles out of the gate, you know, one and three, uh, something like that, and then makes a later run. Maybe they beat New mm. Mexico, or you know, maybe pull one out against Nevada or Wyoming, and then you know they're playing Fresno State, Colorado State, and the Air Force. Maybe they can make a run against those squads. So again, I think they have the probably the most difficult Mountain West schedule. Yeah, yeah. People complained about last season's schedule being much tougher than the the previous seasons. I don't know. Looking at this, this might be even tougher than last seasons. Yeah, because like the you know, the guys in the top two of the conference, San Diego State and Boise State, those are the two projected division winners. Nevada picked second, not all too far behind. You mentioned one of the three teams with one hundred plus points. Uh, Wyoming picked second in the mountains. Like that's their first 
four of their first five non-West games <laughs> are against yeah. teams projected to be in the top two of their division. Um, yep. And your reprieves are against New Mexico, which is a pretty easy one, given that's like New Mexico, they, they could be going into their November 14th game against Fresno State two games. Yeah. And then you have Colorado State. You've mentioned how close those two teams are in the standings. That could be a coin flip game. And I don't like picking Utah State in coin flip games. They're Especially pretty, against Colorado State with the, with the yeah, recent past. They, they, they tend to lose those coin flip games. Well, they tend to lose them if they're close. They've won some coin flip games, but it's usually because they fall out the game. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Air Force, again, depending on how um, their quarterback situation figures out, they could be a team that's comfortably better than the Aggies, and it's also Air Force, and Utah State cannot handle Air Force. Well, I believe it's at home. Utah it is State, at home. Utah and Utah State better. I think the last two or three ones have all been at home. I think the last two have actually been yeah. So, yeah, I, I can't off the top of my head remember the last time they won at Air Force, but they did pull out that victory uh, at home the last time they met Air Force, that game where, I don't know if you remember, they were up quite a bit in the second half. Air Force made a little bit of a comeback in the third quarter, and then Utah State was able to kind of close it out in the end. Yeah. But, yeah, they have always had their struggles with Air Force. That That is for sure. Yeah, so this, this scheduling, I'm going to have to be my, you mentioned you have them deep dive on the other teams. I just got my my magazine here. That is usually my intro too. Yep. Um, that's how I kind of did it last season. I don't tend to do deep dives in other teams, but I've kind of had to the last few years because it's my yeah. job. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for doing your job, Jason. <laughs> we'll see how well I do it. <laughs> well, there's, there's only one way to go but up from last year's prediction article. <laughs> yeah. I'll be honest, I nailed the general season prediction. True, like, true. That was about one of my home runs. They would be they would be out of contention for the um for the Mountain West title, but they would be kind of off. Well, and, and to be fair, be fair to you, there was a couple of them that um, you were you're on track to getting if if other factors hadn't um, intervened, like David Woodward getting the tackle record probably would have happened if he didn't yeah, get injured. Yeah, I was because I, uh, I was like, that was when I think, oh, that's that's not going to happen. Then he was totally on pace for it. Yeah, he was on like, pace to break on. it by quite a few, actually. Yeah, he was on pace to break it by eight or something Yeah. Ah, well, you live and you learn, Jason. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Make less bold predictions. <laughs> no, that's what the people want, Jason. Yeah, they want bold predictions. Utah State undefeated. <laughs> might, might as well go right to BYU if I'm going to Oh, goodness. All right, um, is that it for today? Do we have anything else we want to cover? I think that's that's about all I got. I'm just going to do a, a deep dive in Utah State's offensive intricacies with Jason Michelle and, and two running back, Jalen Morgan. I think given the fact that we're pushing 45, 50 minutes right now, and we just learned that these guys were going on the roster this week, (laughs) probably let's do a little bit of a deep dive, come back with that podcast here in a couple weeks. Um, Hopefully the way, um, like if things can, 
progress the way they have in the past and um, the team actually gets into fall camp here in the next week or two that'll hopefully give us a little bit more access and information to get some of that sorted out too so uh, fingers crossed everything goes as planned and the football season can go on um as as normal i will say with a caveat as i'm i'm not in favor of playing games just for the sake of playing games as long as everything um as far as health and safety goes along with that then uh, i think we're, we're good to go thumbs up for me yeah as long as it's safe right? then i i like to see it but i, I do hope the fall camp will be able to come around because i really want to see the offensive line how well they can do like get a good look at uh See how well Andy Koch has come back from his injury. Mm-hmm. Um, like the offensive line is probably the key area to determine how well Utah State's going to do this season. Yeah, yeah, um, I would agree. Uh, awesome. Um, so that'll do it for us today. You can catch us on another pod here probably next week. Um, topics unknown at the moment, but uh, we'll be putting something out regardless. Uh, you can follow us on social media at Statesman Sports, uh, at DRIN underscore sports for myself. Jason, you want to give the people your handle? Um, and yeah, you can catch us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all that kind of stuff, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also check out uh, the video versions of the podcast on YouTube. Um, we have our own Statesman Sports channel um, as well. So, yeah, that about wraps it up for today. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Jason, for taking the time. Uh, no problem. Always enjoy talking sports. It helps distract from the whole COVID-19 thing, which is ruining my life. It's ruining, my, <laughs> it's ruining sports for me. That's, that's been really fun. You know, usually sports is the great unifier, but it seems like everyone hating COVID-19 and the pandemic has become the great unifier. Yeah, except people are fighting over that now. Seems like we're yep. just looking for reasons to fight. As if, as, if arguing, as if arguing over whether Tyler Huntley or Jordan Love is a better quarterback, <laughs> you know, worthless enough. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, give the Twitter fingers a rest. Uh Give yourself a little bit of a reprieve from that. Stay safe. Uh, take care. There's a reason I have a personal environment on politics. <laughs> well, good thing you're not a politics writer, Jason. I think that's a good move for your career. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. See you later. Yeah.